I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. Okay. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so I've sobered up. There's still some blackouts. And, uh, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later having a good time, baby. Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, my name is Dusty Slay, and I'm your host. Uh, once again, we're here doing a hot podcast. It is going to be a hot podcast. I can't wait to get into it. The, uh, there's a lot going on up here, and you could hear every little movement. While I was doing that intro, everything that I touched and moved around, it's very sensitive. There's a lot of, uh, every sound that I make, you hear. But I've added some padding in here. I think that the sound quality is good. Uh, and, um, you know, here I am doing a podcast, feeling good, feeling great. I have uh, a daughter and she's doing wonderful. My wife's happy, my daughter's happy, I'm happy, and it's great. Uh, I slept in today, my, went and got my daughter out of her baby bed, brought her down, put her in the bed with me. We slept for another couple hours, side by side. My wife took a great picture and we shared it. I wish I weren't afraid of weirdos on the internet or I would share it with you, but I'm not going to do it. One day, I'll probably share a picture of my daughter on the internet, but it's not going to be today. I feel like everything, like once you do it, then all of a sudden now your whole, your whole internet uh, presence is your kids. And I'm, I'm not ready to be that kind of comic. You know what I mean? Like, I get it, you know, but I'm just not ready to be that kind of comic right now. I got a hot podcast, though. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get right into... My favorite segment, where we've been, where we're going. Where they go, where they've been, where they go, where, where they've been. Where we're going, where we've been. And I realized that in my, my recap of last week's where we've been, where we're going, I try to cram so many in, I realized that I left a couple out. I don't think I talked about Knoxville. I went to Knoxville. Uh, one Wednesday, one random Wednesday, I went there. I had never done comedy in Knoxville, not a full stand-up show. I think I've talked about this before, but one time I went and did, I hosted a contest. That's where I met Dan Whitehurst and Joe Kelly. I might've already met Joe, but that's definitely where I met Dan Whitehurst was at a contest put on by Matt Ward in, uh, Knoxville. And Matt was kind enough to let me come down and host that. And then he paid me some money to do it. And I was on a tour. I was actually, during that time, I was on a tour where I did my first dates in Nashville. I put together, I went um, and I lived in New York City for a month in 2013. And then 
when that trip was over, I came home and then I put together a tour. Uh, I had no idea really what I was doing, but I just called clubs and I put together a run of open mics and different shows. So I went to my first show. I drove from Charleston to where did I go? I think to Atlanta and I did the Laughing Skull open mic. My first time ever really performing at the Laughing Skull. I did the open mic. It went very well. And then I, uh, I got, somebody got me hooked up with the show at Zany's. So I'd never really done a comedy club. And then I did Laughing Skull open mic. And then I drove to Nashville the next day where I opened for Pablo Francisco at Zany's. And I've told this story for, for sure before I know, but uh, two of the guys, the, the manager of Zany's is no longer there. I really liked him, uh, but he's no longer there. And then another guy uh, who used to work there for a long time, he passed away. So two of the people that I knew at that time are gone now, and that's too bad. But I did Zany's. Pablo Francisco, the manager comes in and he goes, I was supposed to do 20 minutes clean. And I was like, okay, I got that. I got 20 minutes clean because that's how I've worked on comedy. I've, I've been working on clean comedy for a while. So I got it. And then the guy comes in and this is kind of unheard of. I don't even know how this happened, but the guy goes, Hey, the host didn't show up. Can you host and can you do 30? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I have the material. So I was like, for sure, I can do it. I'd never hosted. I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, I hosted my shows at, at, at Theater 99, but never a comedy club. But I was like, yeah, I got it. And then I went out there and it was a amazing set. It was awesome. It was, I was like on fire. I was like, this is amazing. And then they let me stay in the condo that night. It's my first time that a club had ever put me in a condo. I remember I drove down to... The Kroger, I bought some Bluebell, I know I bought some uh, Ben and Jerry's and I went back to the condo and ate that Ben and Jerry's. The next day I drove back to Atlanta because the Zany's gig was not in my route. It just got added and I was like, I'll do it. I don't care. So I drove back to Atlanta and then I did something at the, at the basement, I think is what it's called. I've done several things there before. I should know what it's called, but I think it's called the basement. And I hosted uh, a comedy show there. And then I went to Birmingham where I did the Stardome. I did an open mic there at the Stardome. That was not very successful. And then I came back to Nashville where I did a run of shows. Uh, Mary J. Berger and Paulina Combo put me on a show called uh, Comedy Pug Hugs at Cafe Coco. I was on a show. I remember Monty Mitchell was on that show. And then I did, uh, before that, actually, I did Spiffy Squirrel with Chad Ryden. Chad Ryden put me on that show. Very nice of him. And then I did Gary Fletcher's show at, uh, what was that place called? It was in the, kind of the Gulch area. I forget what it was called, but it was a open mic, basically, where you stand in between two pool tables. And that was a lot of fun. And then I just kind of hung out in Nashville for a couple of days. I stayed with my friend Jessica Thomas. And uh, Chris Clearman, they were t together at the time, and I stayed with them. And then I drove to Knoxville and did that show with Matt Ward, and then on to North Carolina, where I did, um, what was that place called? Dang. In Raleigh. 
DSI. And then I was sick. I got sick somewhere along the way. I had a little bit of a car accident on the way. Oh, I had a car accident. This lady, I'm in the fast lane. She's in the slow lane. She gets over on me, hits the front of the, my car. I'm in a rental car. She hits the front of the car. We both get out. There's only damage to my car and not that big of a deal, but there is damage to my car. And I just said to her, I was like, listen, I don't care. I got somewhere to be. I'm late. Um, you can You can just go. So she was like, okay, great. She had a bunch of kids in the car. And then, so we get back on the road. I'm sick. I'm on medicine. I'm like real, like spaced out. I'm like, I'm just trying to get to where I'm going. And so I'm driving. And then she um, like comes speeding up behind me. Now we've been on the road for a minute now. She comes speeding up behind me, hazards on, gets beside me, starts waving me down. And I pull over. And she gets out and she's like, my daughter says that you hit us in the back. Now, when this lady got over, she ran me off the road. I had to get off the road to avoid a bigger collision. This is on the interstate. And I kept it, you know, I steered well enough to get back on the interstate and keep going. But when she hit me, she ran me off the road. So I told her, I said, listen, I said, I'm letting you go here. I said, if you want we can call the police, but I'm going to tell the police that it was your fault. So it's up to you. I'm letting you go. But if you want to call them, let's call them. And I'm going to say to them that it was your fault. And she said, okay, okay, let's go. Let's just go. And it's like the lady didn't even have any damage to her car. I can't understand why she was trying to push that issue. And I never understand when people take the advice of little kids. It's like, okay, that's a little kid. Why don't you use your adult brain and, and figure this out? But anyway, so I went on down to DSI. I was sick. I ended up staying in a hotel all that next day. I got a hotel for two nights and really blew my, my whole budget I had planned because I was going to stay with a guy at DSI. And then I ended up being like, nah, I got to get a hotel. And then I spent two nights there. But it was a Saturday. I watched some football. It was a lot of fun, actually. And then I went on down to the Comedy Zone in Charlotte. I don't know why I'm telling you all this right now, but it, it seems relevant. But I went down to Charlotte where I competed in an open mic uh, contest. It was called, mm, what was it called? Debbie Millwater was putting on the show. Anyway, I forget what it was called. Fight Night. Fight Night at the Charlotte Comedy Zone. You got three minutes. So I ended up getting third place that night, which third was enough to get me to the next round. So I got to the next round and I had to come back later. Later, I and then I drove home after that. And then later I came back a couple of weeks later and I won first place. And that got me a, uh, a it's supposed to get me a hosting weekend, but somehow it worked out to get me a feature weekend. And then I won, later I won, um, Blair Nias's competition. I forget what it was called, but I won hers also at the Charlotte Comedy Zone, which got me another feature weekend, which was great. And it is how I really got started working the road was by winning those contests and doing that uh, run of shows, which made me zero dollars and cost me money because I rented a car. I rented some hotel rooms. I stayed with friends. I got sick along the way, but I honored my commitments. I, I only canceled one show. And that was that Saturday night, but I was sick and I don't regret it. Okay. Actually, I canceled two, but it doesn't matter. I canceled one for the Zany show. doesn't matter. Uh, 
I still stand by my um, advice from last week. I was very new. I didn't know to not do that. But what I did was I took the Zanies gig over an open mic. Always do that. Most of these were open mics. Okay, so... But I went to Knoxville, my first time ever headlining a show. The other time I went to Knoxville was to Side Splitters, and I did it the night they were closing the club. This was their last night being open. I had no idea, and people were crying. The lady uh, writing down our, our, our uh, lineup was crying because she had just lost her job. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not getting this gig, but... Um, uh, I met some people there that I'm still friends with, and um, that was great. So I went to Knoxville, and I did this show, downtown Knoxville, and it was fantastic. I did about, I would say about 50 minutes of comedy, and then people started yelling out my older jokes. They started yelling out jokes for me to do, like request. I've had a request here and there, but they kept doing it. So I kept doing it. I think I ended up doing like an hour and 20 minutes. It was really great. And then later that week, I went to The Grove in Lowell, Arkansas, which I can't believe that I forgot that last week. I went to The Grove in Lowell, Arkansas. Uh, one of my favorite clubs for many reasons, but one, the owner, Bill, is just such a nice guy. And he's really taken care of me over the years. Um, and he has painted my picture on the side of his comedy club. So Zanies has painted my picture on the side of their comedy club, and The Grove has painted my picture on the side. So I have two clubs with my pictures painted outside. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm, um, I don't know the word, but I'm honored. Uh, I love it. And so I had a good time. I worked with uh, a guy named Chase. I don't have anybody's last names. Uh... But Chase hosted for us, very nice guy, and he also made me a playlist uh, of, of uh, country music that I listened to. It was about three hours long. When I saw it, I, I basically said uh, to myself, and I also, I think I said it to him too. And I said, basically, I'm not going to listen to this whole thing. But you know what? Chase Miska is his name. And... I said, I got into it, and it was mostly bluegrass, and I just kept listening, and then I ended up listening to the whole thing on my car ride home. It was amazing. Now, he got a little, like, it started off bluegrass and then slowly merged into, like, electronica, and I was like, okay, I don't know about this. I'm not into electronica, but, you know, I'd been doing a bit of CBD, and I was like, okay, I'm into it. I can dig it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And so he was nice. And then I worked with my friend Zaid. I struggle with his name so much. Zaid uh, Devji. Zaid Devji from Houston. I've never struggled with a name quite so much. Um, but I struggle with all kinds of pronunciations. But Zaid Devji out of Houston. We worked together in Houston a couple of years ago. We got along really well. We bonded over music and acid reflux and comedy. And we felt like we had a lot of similarities. And then uh, we got to hang out uh, at the Grove and we hung out in the condo all weekend and we talked about religion. Uh, he is uh, Muslim, I'm Christian, and we talked about religion 
and music all weekend, and it was a lot of fun. We really had a great time, and uh, I enjoyed working with him, and uh, I recommend him. If you uh, are looking for a feature in that area, uh, uh, do uh, get in touch with him because he's a super funny, super nice guy, and a fun guy to work with. So that's it. So I had a great weekend at the Grove. I love being there. It was all fun. And then this past week, I was in Cleveland, Ohio at Hilarities. And wow, what a blast. I loved, loved, loved that weekend. I, I had to cancel my Cleveland weekend twice because of various things. I had to cancel first for the great pandemic of 2020, the never-ending, everlasting pandemic that continues to plague us today with new variants, apparently. But uh, uh, so that happened, and then I ruptured my appendix and had to miss my next scheduled date for Cleveland, but now I got to do it, and it was awesome. It was a great weekend. My friend Alec Parent opened for me, and we had a great time. Uh, also, another great feature that I recommend if you um, are looking for someone. And Alec will mostly travel everywhere. He lives in his van. So if you're looking for somebody, that's your guy. I think he's on the road right now with Dustin Nickerson, and I think even Taylor Tomlinson this weekend. So the guy gets around. And now this weekend, I'll be at the Punchline in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been to the Punchline many times. Actually, many times in 2020. I've always enjoyed the Punchline. The people that work there are so great. And they're located right next to a diner. And uh, my history with that diner and building goes way back to when it used to be Jerry Farber's side door. Um, and I did comedy. Me and Evan Burke did comedy with Jerry Farber way back in the day. So I love the room. If you're in Atlanta, come there this weekend. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great, great time. So I'm going to get into, I'm going to go right into, I don't have any music to get into these segments. I, I meant to make, um, some bumpers, and I will, but I have not done it yet. But we're going to go into the first one. All right, that's pretty good. That'll work. Uh, this is my actor and my five favorite movies by that actor. Now, because I've had to interrupt the podcast, I don't know how long it's been going, so I don't know how long this one will end up be going. Be, end up going. But my, my actor and my five favorite movies by them. And I chose this guy because I feel like this is a guy that in the 90s, we were all, everybody was like, this was their favorite actor. And now almost no one talks about him. And, you know, for obvious reasons, some things went down with the guy. But I saw a movie not too long ago by him. And then I went and that I liked. It was a newer movie and I really liked it. And then I've watched a series of movies with him recently. So I'm including him on this list. It is Mel Gibson. Okay, Mel Gibson. All right, so I got five movies by him, and these are my five favorite. Now, number five is the one that I watched most recently, and I, it's called Get the Gringo. And I thought, 
what I was trying to do is sometimes me and Hannah, at least prior to having a baby, we would watch a cheesy movie and just get into it just for, I don't know, we, you know, because a lot of times we'll watch kind of a cheesy movie and then we'll make jokes about it the whole time. So it's a way for us to hang out and our total attention is not given to the movie. We're hanging out with each other. We're making jokes. We're having fun. So we thought, hey, how about a new Mel Gibson movie? And it was actually really good. I liked it a lot. Okay, number four by Mel Gibson. I'm sure you've all you all remember this one, but for some reason, um, I don't know, it sticks out. It's one of my favorites. It's What Women Want. Not one of my favorite movies of all time, but one of my favorites of Mel Gibson. I think that the great thing about this movie is that it was kind of revolutionary in its time. I mean, it was... Um, you know, you could hear this guy's, or he could hear people's thoughts. And, uh, you know, I thought that was fun. And, you know, as I'm writing this down, this f actor plus five favorite movies, it all seems more fun to me at the time, but mainly because I don't have anyone to go back and forth with. If I had someone to go back and forth with and they could debate me on the movie and why, they could go, oh, that's not one of my favorites, or why is that one of your favorites? But since it's just me alone here, uh, there's no one to go, that's a stupid movie, or that's a great movie. So it's just me. But I like What Women Want. I thought it was a good movie. All right, the next one, I'm, near, I'm just bringing it all into one movie, even though this is a three-part series. There's a fourth part now, but that's uh, with Tom Hardy. But it is Mad Max. I recently watched all three of the Mad Max films. I think it's Mad Max, Mad Max Road Warrior, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And I'm mainly watching them just because I'm, you know, I'm preparing, you know, for the future, for, for what's going down. And, uh, but they're really great. I mean, apparently the first Mad Max, uh, Mel Gibson was just a, you know, a student in acting college. He was not even, you know, a movie star at all. And the movie barely had any budget. And it wasn't even intended to be uh, an end of the world type movie. It was just, he was just a cop in some part of Australia and there was crime and he was, you know, it got wild. But two, Road Warrior really painted more of an end times uh, picture and they had a bigger budget and then three uh, beyond thunderdome is when it really really got wild and i love it i love a movie like this because i love the characters that they use it gets really you know into uh painting themselves up and the wild cars that they have there was a movie like this that i watched at the movie theater one time sort of like this it was a female lead and I really liked it, but I can't, for the life of me, I can't find it. I can't remember it. And I'm not talking about Mad Max with Char Charlize Theron. Theron. Um, uh, this is, uh, it was somebody else. And I saw it at the theater. And I don't even know why I saw it years ago, but I was like, wow, that was awesome. And I wish I could find it. So if you have any insight on that, send that to me. I'd love to hear it. DustySlayComedy at gmail.com. Number two. Favorite movie. Now, this may be something that you don't think about. This may come to you and you go, wow. Now, back in the day, you know, I used to go to my dad's house during the summer. I'd go there every other week during the summer and he had a few movie channels. 
And they would always just play the same movies over and over again. You know, it'd be like, you know, one week it's this movie playing, the next it's another movie, or maybe a month. They would cycle in a month. So they would just be on all the time. And this movie was one of those. It was Maverick. And what a great movie Maverick was. I don't know how much you remember it, and I don't know that it holds up if I went to watch it again. But I remember, like, Clint Black having a little cameo in there. And I loved Maverick. I used to watch it all the time. I thought Mel Gibson was so cool. And then I'm going to give honorable mention uh, to the movie Signs. I remember that movie. I thought that was a lot of fun. I went to see it in the theater. I'm not really into aliens. I don't think I believe aliens exist, at least not like outer space aliens. That's a conversation for another time, but I don't believe them. And if the government tells you that they're real, I think they're lying. But... um, I just don't believe that they're aliens coming to Earth going, oh, we've been flying around space for years and we finally found you guys and we just want to communicate with you. And because whenever you hear people talk about aliens, they're always so much more advanced than us and we're just stupid old Earth. Like you see that in movies where the aliens come and the aliens are like, you guys are really messing up and we're just coming down here to try to save you and try to put you back on track. Or they're like, oh, you guys are destroying this planet anyway and we just want to take your life force. Or like Thanos, he's like, oh, he's like a population control guy. He's like, if I can just wipe out half the population, uh, everything will be set in balance. And it's like, okay, dude, it's like yawn you know what i mean i like the marvel movies but it's like this guy walking around being all wise like all i gotta do is wipe out half the population that's like okay but signs good movie joaquin phoenix i remember that a lot of fun and number one obvious choice number one is braveheart i had braveheart on vhs and i used to watch it nonstop. it's about a man fighting for freedom He would rather die than not live in freedom. And I think we could all stand to go and watch that movie one time. I mean, that guy was like, I will not be locked in my house. You know what I mean? He was like, no, thank you. He's like, I'm going to die out here on the battlefield before I'll let the British government tell me that they're going to run my life. Big fan of the movie. Huge fan. I mean, I, I don't know how historically accurate the movie is, but I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of the movie. I've always loved it. Um, I might watch it again. All right. And this is what I'm going to, I got a couple of caveats here. I don't know if that's the correct usage of that word, but um, I like to say, I'm not really a Lethal Weapon fan. I know that, you know, if people were putting together a list of Mel Gibson movies, they'd put Lethal Weapon in there. I'm just not that big of a fan. I tried to watch it recently. Not a big fan. I like Danny Glover. I like Mel Gibson, but not a big fan of Lethal Weapon series. I do like The Patriot, but I think my problem with The Patriot is I watched it right after Braveheart, and some people were trying to tell me that it was a lot like Braveheart, and I was like, it's missing all the action of Braveheart. I mean, there's one scene, I think, where Mel Gibson runs out and beats some people up, but it is not uh, not the movie that I wanted it to be. And then I have, Mel Gibson made a couple of movies. He made The Passion of the Christ, which I have never watched and never will watch. I, I don't know. I just, I don't like those kind of movies. But 
he made a movie called Apocalypto. And I've always liked Apocalypto, but I've, I've watched it twice. And I rented it one time and I watched it and I really liked it. And then I had, um, I went on a date with a girl, right? I had, um, I'll tell you a little story here. I, this is the same girl that uh, I had told a story before about wrecking my car, flooding my car, trying to go hook up with her after we had broken up. But in the early days of us dating, I was working at Hyman's, she was working at Hyman's, and I really wanted to date her, right? I really wanted to date her. And I remember I was working at Spectraside, and I was working for Stu. I was not full-time yet. I was seasonal employee, and I was sitting there, and I was talking to Stu about it. I was a young man who had very little knowledge of dating, fairly new to Charleston, probably been there about three years max, and I, I had some friends, you know, and I was establishing myself, but I was living on James Island at Riverland Woods. And this girl was living right above Hyman's. She had an apartment right there. And I had wrecked my Saturn. I had wrecked my 99 Saturn and I was driving a 1982 Buick LeSabre. And this girl was, you know, seemed very, um, she was in a sorority, very well off, you know, and I'm, Three years ago, I was living in a trailer park and I'm driving a 1982 Buick LeSabre and I'm working part-time as a pesticide salesman and part-time as a waiter, right? I'm not feeling the most confident about myself, but I remember talking to Stu and Stu was, you know, he told me what to do, how to date this girl, what to do. And then I was like talking to him about money. And I remember Stu, we were sitting in his truck. He had a Ford Ranger, blue Ford Ranger. And he used to smoke Winston's and he would smoke cigarettes harder than anyone I've ever seen smoke cigarettes. I mean, he would hit them and you could hear the cigarette leaving his lips where the suction was so tight. And we would go, he'd go, all right, let's go take a break. And we'd go sit in the truck and he would play music and we would talk about, you know, women and Stu used to play football for the Buffalo Bills. We would talk about that and we would talk about this and that. And he would smoke, you know, 150 cigarettes. And he gave, he, I remember he pulled out his wallet. I told him, I was, he's, he's telling me what to do. Go on this date, do this, do this, do this. He had a whole plan laid out and it's, he had a plan not to pick her up, not to hook up a plan to make her my girlfriend. And it was a flawless plan. I mean, it was very good. He wasn't trying to make me a pickup artist. He was trying to help me get myself into a relationship. And he pulled out his wallet and handed me a hundred dollar bill, uh, which was big money to me. And he, um, you know, said, I want you to go and not worry about money and have a good time. So I, I asked the girl out on a date. We went out and I took her to 82 Queen, which was on Queen Street in Charleston, downtown Charleston. Very nice. And we had some, uh, you know, we had some food and a little bit of wine. It was a lot of fun. And then I drove her in my Buick LeSabre out to, um, I don't know if this was the same night or not. I'm thinking it was the same night. Then I drove her out to Folly Beach. Had a few drinks downtown. And I got in a 1982 Buick LeSabre, drove her out to Folly Beach. Halfway down, I stopped at a red light, reached in the glove box, gave her a CD. Stu said, Stu said, you want to pay attention to what she says, right? And then find 
something that she likes and then get her a gift based on that. And he said, it's, it's flawless. And so I did it and he was right. It was very good. And so I took her out to Snapper Jack's on Folly Beach where my friend David Kane worked. And we had a few drinks out there, had a great time. I drove her home. It was great. I wasn't trying to hook up. I wasn't trying to do anything. It was great. That was a Friday. Uh, it was like, oh man, couldn't have gone better. Could not have gone better. Saturday, I work at Hyman's and she lives nearby and we were kind of texting a little bit. And so I went over to her house after work and just sat for a minute. I wasn't there very long. And then on Sunday, I invited her over to my house. So I went and picked her up and she came over to my apartment and we were going to just watch a movie. And my roommate um, at the time, he had, you know, he had a little CBD, right? And, uh, and uh, this was, you know, this is probably 2008. Now, this is probably 2006, maybe 2007. So you know what I mean. He had a little CBD and he rolled it up in a cigar wrapper and ask us, did we want to partake? And we both, you know, were into that sort of thing. So we did partake and it got us more relaxed than we wanted to be, right? It was far more relaxed than we wanted to be. It was, um, we were both a bit in our heads, you know? So we were like, all right, well, let's chill out. Let's watch the movie. Things should all, all kind of fizzle out, right? It should get better. So I put in Apocalypto, which I don't know if you've seen that movie before, but wow, it is not a romantic film. It is not a film for a first date, second date, third date. You need to be married before you're watching that movie together. So we watched that movie after partaking in that, and then we're not right even after that. I mean, our minds, we're still in a weird place. So I drive, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and take you home. So I take her home in, in like the world's most awkward car ride. I have this very pretty woman in my car who's very well dressed. I'm sure, I, I, well, I know now, but I didn't know then. But her family comes from a lot of money. And uh, <laughs> I'm in this 1982 Buick LeSabre. Very awkward car ride. And I drop her off. And then I am so like distraught. Cause I'm like in my head, I'm, I'm messed up. And now I'm sad because this thing that I wanted has happened, but now I've like messed it up. So I'm like, Oh no. And so I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I went to a coffee shop and I wrote and wrote and wrote, like I wrote a story. I just was like, I need to be out of my head. And so I just wrote for a long time. And then I went home and I watched Rocky uh, the Rocky, Rocky Balboa. And, uh, and then I passed out and I went to work the next day and I'm trying to explain to Stu everything that happened without telling him about the CBD. Right. And, um, so it was hard to explain to him and I don't think he really gathered why it got so awkward. So I got off work that day with Stu, that was Monday, and I had to, that, on Mondays, I did two jobs. I would go to work with Stu at Spectreside, and then I would get off, and I would go into Hyman's. So I had my shift. So I ended up doing a couple of shots of liquor at the house before I went into Hyman's because I felt so uncomfortable. And we, even when, when, when I saw her, it was still uncomfortable. I was like, oh, no, what's happening? 
it's all collapsing. And, um, and it ended up, you know, working itself out. And we talked and she was like, you never even called that night. Why did you not call me? And I was like, I don't know. But it ended up working out and we dated for a while. And then uh, it was a, uh, a mess of a relationship. And uh, I'm glad that it didn't work out. And I'm sure she is too. But we had a good run. And uh, so that's the whole story. I know that that's a long rambling story to really lead you nowhere. But uh, so that's my full story of, of Mel Gibson. Okay. Now for the things I hate segment. Okay. Things I hate. Now, again, as I've said before, this is a ridiculous segment where I talk about things I hate, but do I really hate them? It's debatable if I do or not. This is things I hate, uh, and it is Starbucks, okay? And here I'll go. I wrote this. I'm going to read this. I wrote this on a plane. Starbucks, mainly at the airport, but I really hate them all. I go there all the time, so how much do I really hate it? Well, a lot. This is why. I only drink black coffee, and I never get a cup from Starbucks and taste it and go, this is delicious. Almost every time I'm like, this is gross, this coffee is burned, whatever that means. I heard someone say it once, and now I think I know about burnt coffee. Or I say, gross, this coffee is old, but yet I go there and I get the coffee because it's better than most of the other crap out there. Do I even like coffee? I don't know if I do. I tell myself I do. I drink it a lot. But do I even like it? I'm always drinking it going, ugh. I, every Starbucks cup I've ever got, I go, ugh, this is gross. And then I drink the whole thing. And by the third or fourth sip, I'm into it. I like it. I love it. I'm like, oh, this is the best. And I'll choose Starbucks over anything else. I want, I'd rather go there than Dunkin' Donuts. I'd rather go there than... Anywhere, and here we go. Another reason I hate Starbucks is all the food is completely fake. Like I look at the display case and I say, ooh, okay, that croissant looks pretty good, but that's the display. A fresh one will be really great. And I'll say, hey, I'll have that croissant with the powdered eggs, government cheese, and that mystery meat, thinking that I'll be getting a fresh one. And, and, and then they grab me the display. But at least when I'm throwing up later, I can signal to other people how uppity I am by flashing them my Starbucks cup, right? Because that is what it's about in some ways, right? We're like, yeah, I'm drinking Starbucks, buddy. Yeah, okay. Because you ever see people in public drinking gas station coffee? You're like, oh, geez, dude, what's wrong with you, right? I drink gas station co coffee all the time, but uh, I, I want to pour it into a Starbucks cup. Another reason I hate Starbucks is that it makes me hate every person in line. When I order Starbucks, it sounds like the most pretentious thing possible. Oh, when people order Starbucks, it sounds like the most pretentious thing possible and makes me think things like, this country doesn't have much time left. <laughs> and then I also hate Starbucks for making me feel like I'm better and stronger than everyone else because I drink black coffee. You know what I mean? Like somebody goes up and they're like, I'll have a mocha frappuccino with a, uh, a splash of rice milk and uh, I, I don't know, whatever things people want in there. And then I'm like, y'all have a, a, a grande black coffee, please. 
The last reason I hate Starbucks is because they don't make the cashier make the coffee unless it's a regular coffee. So while I have the simplest order, I make the cashier do the most amount of work. Unless, of course, you order some of that cardboard food because then the cashier suddenly becomes the chef slash convection oven operator, right? I mean, it's like the cashier doesn't make any of the coffees except the black coffee. And then unless you order food and then the suddenly now the, now the cashier is the cook. The only thing I hate more than Starbucks is every other hipster coffee shop that I can't stop going into. I hate them, but I can't stop going in. I, I like hate hipster coffee shops, but also I'm like, I love them. Do you know what I mean? That's why I hate them so much because I love them. Even though every time I'm in there, I'm like, ugh, right. I'm like, oh, what is this place? You know, uh, I went into one coffee shop in East Nashville and they served it to me in like a science beaker on a tray. It's tough enough for me to take myself seriously as it is, but it's impossible walking around with a beaker of coffee like I'm about to do an experiment on my digestive tract. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So I do hate Starbucks and I hate every hipster coffee shop in the world, but also every time I'm in a town, I'm searching for it. And when I find it, I go, oh, thank goodness. The only thing I hate worse than Starbucks and a hipster coffee shop is like Dunkin' Donuts. I don't ever eat donuts, right? But if I go to Dunkin' Donuts, I'm like, well, I'll get a donut. You know what I mean? I, I don't even know why I don't, even, I don't want the donut. When I eat the donut, I'm not like, oh, I'm glad I ate that donut. But I go up to Dunkin' Donuts and I'm like, yeah, I have a black coffee and let me get one of them glazed donuts. I don't even know why I'm doing it. It's a, just a reaction that my body and my mouth has. I go up, I go, yeah, I'll take a donut. Now, you know what? Make it two donuts. I'll have two. I didn't want one at all, but now I'll have two. Yeah, I'll have two. I, I'd like to regret something later today. I'd like to, I'd like to sit around and go, mm, I wish I hadn't ate that donut, but I'll get two. I'll get a glaze in an old fashioned real quick. And, uh, or, or like I stop it. I love, loves truck stops and, and, and flying J and pilot, but I hate the coffee, but I'll go in there and I'll get it. I don't understand why loves truck stop is so in love with like McDonald's and Hardee's. It's like, come on now, give us a, put a Starbucks in here. I mean, yeah, I hate them, but give me a Starbucks. That's the weird thing about Starbucks is I do hate them. And then the logo is like a weird two fin mermaid with her legs spread open. And, um, you know, look at the old logo of Starbucks. It's like, what is that all about? That lady, she's like, come and get it. And we're like, oh, we love this. And people do spend a lot of money on coffee there. I mean, if you get just black coffee, it costs you about two fifty. It used to be two bucks. It's I've watched it slowly rise, but it costs you about two fifty. But, the airport Starbucks is particularly bad, especially in Nashville. Nashville has one place for coffee. They finally got a second coffee spot and then the pandemic hit and that disappeared. But they, they have one coffee place. They're working on a second one. They're building an eighth and rail or something in there. Eighth and rail is a place in Opelika. I don't know what it's called. Eighth and Grindhouse. I don't know. But they are opening another coffee spot and they put a smoothie shop in the Nashville airport, which I'm into. But the, 
the coffee, the Starbucks in Nashville, it's, there's always a line like around the building and there's one person running a cash register. That's how you know when there is no competition. That's, that's when capitalism is not actually happening. If capitalism were able to happen at the airport, another coffee shop would be in there right now competing with Starbucks. They're coming, but it would have already happened. And then Starbucks, because they had competition, if that competition came in and put two cashiers in and then people could get in and out of there, then Starbucks would be like, dang, we got to get another cashier so we can keep up with them. And then these corporations would be working for us, but they're not working for us anymore. They know they have us. They don't have to work for us. They don't have to do anything. The airlines early on in the pandemic were like begging for us to fly they're like please fly and now they're like if you don't wear a mask we'll put you in jail <laughs> and it's like that's not customer service it's like no no corporation cares anymore they don't care at all anymore because they know they have us we don't have any options we don't know how to grow food we're not raising a farm we don't we, uh, they, without them we got nothing and they know that now I ordered a, 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 a pantry uh, for my kitchen from Amazon, and the pantry is nice, but it came with zero instructions. It's one of these very complicated to put together things, but no instructions. I figured it out uh, because I put together a million things like that, but they gave me no instructions. They don't even care. I emailed them. I was like, hey, I'd like to get some instructions to be able to put this together. They said, give us a couple of days. You know what? It's been a couple of days. Do I have the instructions? No, no, I don't. And they don't care. And I was like, can I resend this back? They're like, yeah, but it'll cost you 50% uh, of the price for a restocking fee. So it's like, no one cares. Now I bought a, I bought a new iPhone for my wife. Uh, uh, and they, when I was buying it online, they go, mm, well, now they don't come with a charger. Would you like to add a charger? Do you remember, and this may be something I've already wrote down and things I hate. I probably shouldn't do multiple things I hate in one thing, but I just, I'm on a, I'm on a corporation rant right now. The, and you know, all the things that I have here, I have a, a iPhone, I have a MacBook, I have a Rodecaster Pro. I'm talking into a uh, camera that I, that I bought. They're all corporate, a Sony camera. I got Rodecaster mics. They're all corporations. They all don't care about us. But I bought this phone, and, and you remember the days when you would go to AT&T and you would go, hey, I'd like to get a phone. And they go, well, if you sign a contract with us, you get the phone for free. I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But now what they do is, because back then you could go, I don't want a contract, but I'll buy the phone. And they go, okay, but if you sign the contract, you get the phone for free. Now they're like, well, you don't get the phone for free, and you have to sign the contract or you can't uh, work with us. And then they go, uh, and they used to give you a charger with the phone. Now they go, no charger comes with it. Do you want to get one? I'm like, well, yeah, I'd like to charge the phone. And then they'll change the thing. Now they're changing USB ports. Years and years and years we've had these US USB ports. And now they're like, this is USB-C. It's the USB port of the future. And it's like, well, I'd like to keep the million uh, white blocks that I have to plug in chargers. I'd like to keep those active. But now they're switching that up. I could complain all day about it, but we're having a good time. All right, so let's get into Song of the Week. Oh, that's actually a movies bumper that I have there, but that'll work for this, so I'll remember that for the future. What's this one? Food on the Road. Okay, 
so this is song of the week. My friend Travis sent me a song, and I like it, but that's not going to be the song of the week this week. I have written it down. So, Travis, if you're listening, it is written down, and it will be. But this morning I woke up, and, and your song was going to be song of the week. It is a good song. It's a Tyler Childers song. It is a good song. But I woke up this morning thinking about this song, and as I was listening to it, I just thought, I, it never occurred to me what this song was actually about, and so I'm going to play one minute of it, and I'll tell you when I'm going to start. If you're one of the people that listens that hate when I play music, I'm going to play about a minute, maybe a minute and a half of it. Actually, I'll probably play a minute and a half because there's a, you know, I want to, There's a, it ends at a good spot at a minute and a half, but it's about a three-minute song. And I'm going to play it, and then I'll tell you who it is and, and, and what it's called. Um, but And then I'll talk about it. From the corners of the country, from the cities and the farms, with years and years of living tucked up underneath their arms. They walk away from everything just to see a dream come true. So God bless the boys who make the noise on 16th Avenue. With a million dollar spirit and an old flat top guitar, they drive to town with all they own in a hundred dollar car. They knew who owns you know a studio on 16th Avenue. Now some are born to money, they never had to say survive. And others swing a nine-pound hammer just to stay alive. There's cowboys, drunks, and Christians, mostly white and black and blue. They've all dialed a phone, collected home from 16th Avenue. Wow, that's such a great song. That is by Lacey J. Dalton, and it's called 16th Avenue. And I never really knew what she was talking about. I just enjoyed the sound. But she's talking about Nashville. Everybody, I mean, this may be obvious and apparent to everyone, but 16th Avenue is where all the music studios are at. You know, they're on several streets down there, but there, a lot of the music studios are on 16th Avenue in Nashville. And I oftentimes will think about country music or think about music in general and its relation to comedy. I'll listen to a song about someone's quest to become a great musician, and I'll think about my own um, you know, life as trying to be a comedian and, and, and what, you know, what I've gone through and what, what it takes to, to achieve. And it's like, I just thought about this song and I was like, wow, she's talking about Nashville. And there, uh, one street over was a bar called Bobby's Idol Hour. It may still be there. I don't know, but there was an open mic there on Monday nights ran by Chad Ryden for a long time. And it was one of my favorite open mics in town. I love going there because every other night, even on Mondays, they did music, but they had this one little section uh, 
of the week for comedy. And a lot of the old musicians would be sitting around in there and old men drinking beer would just be sitting there and you had to really make them laugh. They were not giving away the laughs and it, it could be a wild time or it could be a dead mic, but I really enjoyed it. It was my favorite. Chad Ryden was at his best at Bobby's Idle Hour and it was a lot of fun. And, um, I love going there and it's just like, you know, I'm not a country musician, but in a lot of ways, I've taken the path of a country musician to become a comedian. Like I moved to Nashville to be a comedian. I don't know who does that. I mean, people are doing it now, but, but a lot of the people that have moved to Nashville, they moved to New York, to LA or to somewhere like that to become a comic. And then they moved to Nashville to, you know, settle down and, and live a better life. But I moved to Nashville to become a comic. I came from Alabama. I came from Charleston, but from Alabama to Nashville to become a comedian. And then, you know, I'm probably on, let's see where Bobby's Idle Hour is at. What street is it on? It's on, uh, well, it's on, um, what is it called? A nine music square street, but it's in between 16th and 17th Avenue. And so I'm, 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 that's one of my first places that I go once I'm in Nashville and I'm, and now I've like done the grand old Opry like 13 times, I think. So it's like, I've taken the path of the country musician and it's really panned out. I mean, now, uh, as you may know, uh, if you follow me on social media, it's been announced that I will get a 30 minute Netflix special, um, in, um, uh, I'll film in August. I don't know when it comes out, but I will record in early August. And it's all, it's just so great because it's like, I, um, you know, moved to Nashville to pursue comedy and then I've gotten to do late nights, um, you know, out of here without having to live in New York and LA, something that I don't know that, you know, a lot of people have done. And I just, you know, I only say that to say it can be done. Those cities are not a necessity now for us. Now I've been to new, I'll have to go to LA and New York to film. And I've been to LA many times to do things, to do the David Spade show and stuff like that. And it's like, they're great. They're a lot of fun, but you don't have to live there. And it's like, that's why I think it's all about the way, that's why when I put out season two, the first 10 episodes roughly, is all about how to be a comic because that's my um, journey through comedy. And so that's that. So it's very exciting. And uh, so this is my advice to comics this week. Uh, and I, I had a different word of advice, but this came to me. I was chatting with a friend on Instagram yesterday and it just came to me. Uh, and this is it. Learn to, if you want to work clean, if you want to work clean, but this is really true for anybody. Uh, and this is what I say. Learn to be clean in rooms where, quote unquote, only dirty works because it will make you a super strong comic. I mean, once I made the choice that I'm going to be a clean comic. Now, I say relatively clean most of the time. I'm not trying to advertise myself as a clean comic. I just chose to work clean. And mainly it's because it was, you know, it was hard to get a gig and then somebody go, hey, can you work clean? And then I go, yeah, I can. And then I have to like drop punchlines and stuff like that, where it's like, 
it's just easier if I just write clean from the beginning and then just be a clean comic. So that's what I started doing. And when I would go into these rooms where it's like people are crushing with super dirty jokes and I know I've got to go out there and be clean, um, it's like I just had to learn to do it. I had to learn to not give in and not and to resist the urge to be dirty because I, I knew at any point, well, I could say this or I could say that and this audience would start laughing. But that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to practice the way that I play. So I want to be the best. Now, as a headliner, now I get to make the call a little bit. I prefer that the people before me not be dirty. I don't, I'm not trying to make life hard on myself now. But coming up and learning to do comedy, it is important to practice how you play. Um, so that's it. And um, let's see what I wrote here. I wrote down a couple of things. Joke breakdown. Uh, the things about jokes and breaking them down is that some of the things I say, they just pop into my mind and then I say them. And if people laugh, I keep telling them as long as they're not cheesy or hacky. But I can't always give myself credit for coming up with something. It just comes, especially if I spend time thinking about a joke. And that's true. A lot of times on, on, a, on a ride home after a weekend, this is why I always like driving. Do a little CBD, get in the car, cruise. And then I start thinking about my jokes for the weekend. And then things will come to me. Ideas will come to me. And then, or if I have a funny idea, I talk about it on stage. That's the great thing about having a longer set. I can sandwich something new in between, you know, some other jokes and, um, you know, and then I can talk about it for a little bit. And if it's bombing, then I, then I go back um, to my other jokes. Monty Mitchell had a great analogy. He said, you know, your jokes, your, your set is like a tree, right? You're going up this, 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 um, he did it better. It's his analogy, not mine. But say you're going up the base of the tree, whatever that's called, the stalk of the tree. I can't, I couldn't tell you what it's called, but you're up there. And then when you start riffing, you're kind of going out on a limb, Right. So you're going out on a limb and when it starts to not get funny, then you bring it back into the base of the tree. And that's what I think about trying new jokes. I mean, your your set is that main part of the tree and the things that you want to work on, the things that you want to try. Those are the limbs and you ride them as far as you can. But when they start to get weak, start to get shaky, bring it on back in. So I think that's that's the way to go. And it's like. Sometimes you say something on stage, you get a you get a laugh. It's happened to me many times. I had a Walmart joke I did for a long time, but it seemed cheesy and hacky, but it was getting a laugh. So I had to I had to really fight myself and go, stop telling that. That's that's a cheesy joke. Stop doing it. And it's like, but it's hard when something's funny and you're getting a laugh. You're like, well, I wanna I wanna keep doing it because I want I want to do this funny thing. Um and uh all right, so this is this is the joke I'll talk about. It's a credit score joke that I have. It's on a YouTube video. I was doing it for a while. Um, I, you know, and it's like I had moderate success with it, right? Like, this is what I wrote down. The reason it doesn't work is because the commercial is old and people don't remember it or because people don't know anything about credit or there's a possibility that the joke just isn't funny. That's always possible. But it also seems like a played out concept to talk about credit scores. So I have this credit score joke where I basically be like, um, 
you know, there's a commercial out there today that says check your credit score. They all they want you to do is just check your credit score. They act like checking your. They'll say things like, "You want a new car, don't you?" They act like checking your credit score fixes all your problems, and and the joke goes on and on. I don't know, but um, I always thought it was super funny. Well, the banker's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't even remember the joke. I quit doing it, but. Um, you know, I just try to think about all those scenarios. Why is the joke not going the way that I want it to go? Why are people not laughing at the places I want them to laugh at? And those are the things I think about. I think too many people have talked about credit at this time. I used to have a credit score joke where I'd go, uh, you know, the best thing about having bad credit, and usually that would get a laugh. The best thing about having bad credit is not having to worry about identity theft. Matter of fact, somebody steals my identity and opens a credit card. I'm not even mad. I'm just like, how'd you do that? Won't you get me one of them? And uh, and that was true for me for a while. And uh, so I don't know if that joke break, breakdown is really what we're looking for here. But uh, And then I got some life advice, and then I'm going to do uh, Bible verse of the week. I had a character of the week. You know what? Maybe I will talk about this guy a little bit. Um, I want to talk character of the week. I want to talk about him is Greg Tavares. Greg Tavares was my improv teacher at Theater 99. Uh, he taught me improv. When I moved there in 2003, I started taking improv classes either later that year. I think, yeah, later that year in 2003. I was, what would I have been, 21. I didn't know anything about comedy. I never thought that I could do comedy, but I was in a situation where I was basically alone I didn't have any friends in Charleston, and I was looking to, uh, I'd never lived in any kind of a city, and I was looking to make a connection and make some friends, and, and I always was funny. I always made people laugh, so I wanted to do this. So I saw an ad in the paper, so I went to take this, and Greg taught me improv, but while teaching me improv, indirectly taught me all about comedy. I feel like Greg taught me how to be funny without just going for the funny, right? He used to tell us when creating an improv scene that we don't need to be funny. He would say, you are funny. Don't worry about being funny. Just worry about creating a good improv scene and the funny will come. And it's so true. I see so much improv. I've been to improv all over the country. I've seen all kinds of improv. And the worst improv is when there are people on the stage that are just going for the quick joke all the time. They're always just trying to get that quick laugh. But with Greg's style of improv, now he may have learned it from somewhere else, but I'm going to call it Greg's style. It was, you know, it was a long form style of improv, but Greg's specific style was, you know, you take a suggestion from the audience and then a cascade of thought, right? So you get the suggestion and then maybe you don't use that word, but it's whatever that word makes you think of. So you create a scene, like you establish who you are as a character on stage. You establish the world in which you're living in and you establish your relationship to your partner and you don't go for the quick laughs. You create that relationship between the two. I've seen Greg and... Oh, I can't think of the guy, but I've seen Greg and several people do two-man shows, just be on stage and be very serious for a while and then hit you with a really hearty laugh because once the relationship had been established between the characters, everything they did was funny. 
And it was just such a brilliant thing. And I feel like I've really applied that to my standup. Just in the way of it's like, it's not about the easy laugh. It's about establishing who you are as the character on stage, right? The character I play on stage in standup is pretty much me. I am that character in life, but you take on, you know, a different persona in a sense that you're like, you know, does that fit with everything else I've said on stage? I don't want to be contradictory to myself. I don't, you know, is what I'm saying here the same as what I said earlier? And it's like, I just think Greg uh, helped really shape my mind um, uh, in a comedic way. And I'm very appreciative of that. I mean, um, he wrote a book about improv. I wish I had gotten the book out before I started talking about this, but uh, he wrote a book about improv. And between him and Brandy at Theater 99, they created one of the great, Im greatest improv scenes I've ever seen. I mean, the only place uh, I've ever seen good improv is L.A., New York City, and Minneapolis, and Charleston. Those are the only places I've ever seen good improv. Now, I know there is good improv in Chicago, but I've just never seen it. I know it exists because that's where Second City's at. So it's not, I just never been to an improv show in Chicago. But I've been to improv shows in many cities. Um, and LA, New York City, Minneapolis, and Charleston is where I've seen the best. And Charleston, the reason that I say that is three of those are giant cities, well known for comedy. And Charleston is a tiny city. And there's no reason that Charleston should have a good improv scene. But they do because, in my opinion, because Brandy is unbelievably funny and Greg Tavares knows how to teach people how to do comedy. Um, uh, and Greg, he really knew how to teach it. He wrote a book about improv. And Greg, another thing about Greg, he also sat down with me once. He cared about my stand-up. He cared about my jokes. He brought me into Theater 99 one time, and he... I stood on stage with a microphone. He turned the mic on. He sat in the audience and he listened to me tell comedy for about 20 minutes. That's about all the jokes I had at the time. But, and he sat there and listened, laughed, and then gave me notes. And um, it was really great. I've always liked Greg. I've always liked Brandy. I appreciate them so much. And um, Theater 99, such a great spot. And uh, I just, uh, if you live in Charleston or around the area, go check out a show. Go see them. Uh, if the have-nots are playing, try to go see them. I think they sell out every single time they do a show. So try to get tickets. But it's just a special place they've set up there. And I've been, you know, I've been affiliated with them, you know, for almost, you know, 20 years, which is pretty amazing to say. I mean, I made a lot of friends doing that. I remember when they were on a, a location on Cumberland Street years ago and it's really great all right so this is the final thing that i'll do uh life advice then a little bible a little bible talk life advice this is just this seems very basic but i just want to try to give something out you know uh and this is it stay out of debt don't buy things you can't afford to make yourself feel good or cool now there's things you can't avoid right like if you don't have a car and you need a car and you don't have the money you may have to take out a loan to get the car. That's debt for sure, but it's something that has to happen. 
we're, we're in a, a world of now I lived in Charleston for, you know, several years, but the last two years I lived there, I rode a bike. I sold my car, rode a bike and I saved money and was able to buy a car with cash when I left there. And then when I bought that car, I began to save money immediately. And then the next time I needed to buy a car, which was, you know, I don't know, um, roughly four or five years later. And I was able to buy that car with cash because I had saved and I wasn't trying to buy a fancy car. I, you know, and so that's just, you know, I, I'm always saving for something like that because it's important and uh, to stay out of debt. Now I have a mortgage. That's kind of unavoidable these days. It's either you have a mortgage or you rent. Uh, either way, you're going to be making a monthly payment. So it's hard to avoid, but, you know, credit card debt, uh, student loans, I guess that's kind of hard to avoid these days. But if you need to go to college, my opinion, know what you want to do and go specifically for that and don't switch majors, right? Because you incur more debt that way. But it's just like, I mean, I buy things at Goodwill. I, I accept things for free. People want to give me things. I mean, the house I live in now, the people who lived here, they were like, do you want the couch and chairs that we have in here? And we're like, yeah, we'll take it. We've almost lived here for two years and we're still using their couch. We may be about to buy a new couch, but we've, we're all about not getting into debt. And, and the thing that being out of debt will, will do for you is it will, it will allow you freedom, you know, because as long as you're in debt, you're, you know, you're kind of, well, you're indebted to someone. So just try to stay out of debt. And this is my Bible verse of the week. And the reason that I chose this I had chose a different one to go along with the stay out of debt thing, but I, I changed my mind because of the Netflix thing. Because whenever something big happens for me, whenever there's a big life change, whenever, you know, you know whenever I did the Tonight Show, whenever I got to do the Tonight Show, whenever I uh, got new management, there's always, because of, uh, you know, my faith, my Christianity, uh, I'm always worried about what I'm entering into. And I'm always aware and I feel like something stirs in my spirit when a new big thing happens. And I want to, you know, appreciate what I've been given, appreciate what's happening for me, but also always be aware of what's happening. And this Bible verse is Matthew eight thirty six. It says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Right now, there are people, I did a show one time at a place called Hale, H-A-I-L in Nashville. And I made a joke on stage. This is a really weird kind of taxidermy, a bit of a satanic feeling store. I won't say they are, but I'm saying it feels that way. And I was like, I made the joke. I was like, this place is weird. I feel like my soul's getting sucked up. And the, and the person that worked there goes, don't worry, you don't have one. Right. And I made a face, got a great laugh. It was all fun. But I believe that we all have souls, right? So I don't, I never want to, um, you know, progress in a way um, in my career that changes who I am at a, as a person. Now, I think if we're growing, we're changing. If we're all growing, we're all changing. And that's going to happen. But I want to change in positive ways. I don't want to let anything ever change who I am, or I don't want to lose my soul in the process, right? I want, I want to get things based on earning them. I don't want things to be given to me. I want to earn things, and I feel like I have 
definitely earned this and I'm very appreciative. And now there's one more second Corinthians, uh, three. I didn't write the, uh, the, the verse, but here it is. Not that we are, oh, let me find this. Let me actually find it in the, I wrote this down and I always do that. All right, let's see. Oh, my phone's loading slow. Here we go. Not that we are, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And I just think, you know, it just to me as a Christian, I believe that the things that I get come from God, that I can say I earned them. I can say I worked for them. I can say this, this, this and this. But there are plenty of people that worked hard, that earned things that did not get them. So I think that the things that I get come from God. I mean, I appreciate my agents. I appreciate my manager. I know that they work hard for me and they do things for me and they have gotten these things for me. And I also know that I've worked for them and I've earned them, but they all come from God and I appreciate them. And I appreciate you for listening to this podcast. Uh, I hope that it's been fun. I hope that you've had a good time and I'll be back next week with another super hot episode of the we're having a good time podcast. Oh, and by the way, the mask rant is over for now because uh, the only place I have to wear a mask is on an airplane. And uh, you know what? I'm okay with it. I can handle it sometimes. I just didn't want to wear it every place of my life all the time. And it's great. And I'm happy. We're having a good time.